Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling. Join Andy Schneider, National Spokesperson for the USDA APHIS Avian Health Program, Editor-in-Chief of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, and author of The Chicken Whisperer's Guide to Keeping Chickens, Chicken Factor Chicken Poop, and Zero Waste Chicken Keeping, as he welcomes top poultry veterinarians, poultry scientists, and poultry nutritionists to discuss the hot topics in the poultry world today and provide science-based, fact-based, study-based information to help you raise the healthiest poultry possible. And now, here's your host, Andy Schneider. All righty, thank you so much for tuning in today to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by our good friends over in Alabama, Tucker Milling. If you live in the southeast United States, then you need to check them out next time you go to the feed store and and get some really good nutritionally balanced feed for your flock. That's Tucker Milling. Thanks so much. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I'm very excited about it. Um, we have our good friend, poultry veterinarian, Dr. Maurice Pateski. He's going to be uh, first going over how to perform or performing a physical exam uh, on your birds, on your backyard flock, and then identifying ascites slash water belly. A lot of times uh, out on the blogs and forums, they'll call it water belly, and we're talking about ascites and uh, how to identify that. If there's anything that you can do about that, uh, is there anything a trained veterinarian can, poultry veterinarian, uh, can do about that. So it's going to be a fantastic show. It's a really uh, a great topic. We see this topic a good bit actually out on the blogs and forums. And I have to admit, as always, some of the treatments that people are throwing out there are um, are shameful and just really not good for, for the bird itself. But then we're going to ask Dr. Pateski at that point, if you have that bird that has ascites or water belly, uh, is there anything that's actually going to be able to uh, save them? And maybe the causes of some of this as well. What's causing this and how maybe we can prevent this if that's at all possible? So I'm going to go right into our first commercial break right away. Uh, not much host chat today because I want you to have time to get that pen and paper, that spiral chicken whisper notebook ready where you take all your notes from our podcast. So when we come back from commercial break, we'll bring Dr. Pateski right on. We'll get right to our topic performing a physical exam and identifying ascites slash water belly in chickens. Stay with us. We'll be right back after this short break. Chickens across the country are flocking to grubbits. These natural oven-dried black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15 percent of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. Ideal Poultry has been a family-owned and operated business since 1937. Their business is built on customer service and quality poultry. From rare white and brown egg layers to broilers, ducks, turkeys, and bantams, Ideal Poultry is the largest supplier of backyard poultry in the United States, shipping close to 5 million chicks annually. Visit them online at IdealPoultry.com. That's IdealPoultry.com. Hey, it's the Chicken Whisperer. If you're in the market for a new incubator, then look no further than GQF. They have a great selection of tabletop and cabinet-style incubators at prices you can afford. 
I love my GQF Genesis Model 1588. It has a large picture window and an automatic thermostat, which makes for a better hatch every time. Go pick out your new incubator at GQFradio.com. That's GQFradio.com. Metzer Farms is now hatching and shipping the premier egg layer. This girl is consistently laying jumbo eggs with a higher nutrient density and lower water content than your eggs now. She is an extremely hardy bird and the most heat and cold tolerant egg layer available, allowing for year-round outdoor production. An eggshell unmatched in sturdiness and thickness, making cracks a thing of the past. Increase your health and double your egg profits. Of course, we're talking about ducks. Duck eggs are revered by chefs for their succulent flavor and by bakers for being the better baking egg. Learn more about this extraordinary duck, the Golden 300, or any of our other 35-plus breeds of ducks and geese at MetzerFarms.com and order your next flock from us. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Hi, I'm country music artist Nathan Osmond, and you're listening to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer. All right, thank you very much for staying with us today. Hopefully, um, you were hanging around and you heard our very first commercial about grubettes. And um, the biggest headline there regarding these black soldier fly larvae, uh, of course, sourced and produced here on farms in the United States. Uh, They are not coming out of China. Um, the biggest headline about grubettes is the price point. Um, I was just over at Amazon this morning, and I was looking at grubettes and a competitor brand of black soldier fly larvae, and it's double the product for your money at the end of the day. You can go look right now. You can go to Amazon.com. You can type in grubettes, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S. You can see, just as I can see, a two-pound package is $15.99, and the competitors, their one-pound package is $15.99. So, uh, wow, that's that's double uh, the product for your, uh, for your money. Uh, so uh, definitely check them out over at Amazon, Grubettes, they're the black soldier fly larvae that uh, all of you um, are familiar with, and many of you use... Um, for your backyard flocks. I was just sent, I don't know, a gazillion pounds of these. I'll be doing a Facebook Live a little bit later today on these. Um, in fact, there's uh, from the editor in the fall issue of Chicken Whisperer Magazine, I'm talking about these, but I'm also talking about how um, I, I'm not deviating or, 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 or moving away from my stance that we don't give treats here to any of our flocks on our homestead. We just don't. Now, over the years, when you've seen me do that, uh, when you see me do that uh, recent, coming recently, I'll be doing that here pretty soon, um, it's, it's basically very few and far between when we get stock in from a sponsor and we do a YouTube video about it or we do an educational video about it. Other than that, um, ours do not get any treats here on the homestead. They get Tucker milling, uh, nutritionally balanced layer pellets, uh, and fresh, clean water. And that's it. They free range all day, though. They're out at 9 a.m. They're back in their um, 2 p.m., but we are not going out and doing the treat thing. Um, and many of all of my, let's just face it, not many, all of my fans and followers know that's our stance here on a homestead and mine. Now, Regardless of how many times we've, say, uh, beat this dead horse about treats and fatty liver disease and, and, and other things, we still fall back on that. Regardless of what material science and education and experts we bring on the show that talk about uh, the detra, uh, detrimental uh, effects treats can have, we still lean on that no more than 10% of their daily rations. So when you see me here the next week, do a video promoting uh, the grubettes and, and the, and, and, and our, and our flocks here on the homestead, you will actually see me uh, with a specifically measured uh, scoop where they get 10% of their daily ration per bird, which is about a tablespoon. 
So it's not just going to be me like we've seen some of the others, just, you know, handfuls and handfuls and handfuls out there. Um, even uh, uh, we're standing by that 10% of their daily ration. And, you know, when you hear that, uh, when you hear that, oh, you know, that their treats and extracurricular uh, nutrition shouldn't be more than 10% of their daily ration. Well, you can say that to backyard homesteaders and backyard chicken keepers all day long. They may have heard that until they're blue in the face. Yeah, the sh- treats shouldn't be more than 10% of their daily ration. But then when you follow up, I've done this. When you follow up, say, well, tell me, how much is that? What, what's 10% of, of your hen's uh, daily ration in your backyard? And I get crickets, blank stare. So, so they, we, we've done a good job, and, and actually has crossed over some of the other bloggers now. I've finally come on this train uh, of, of, you know, no, no treats are necessary. And they're saying, you know, throwing out there their 10%, uh, no more than 10% of their daily ration. But when you actually ask them, they've heard, they've heard it. What, how much is that? Crickets, blank stare, have no, no idea. It ends up being somewhere between a teaspoon and a tablespoon per bird uh, per day if you have to give a treat every day. So, um, but yeah, so even, even though we will be promoting the grubettes, I don't have to promote them, the biggest promotion they've already done. And that's basically half the price of the competitor's product. Um, but, uh, as we promote this, you'll see, and when, and, and when I do do videos, it'll be 10% and then I'll do the video and then, okay, I hope you enjoyed those flocks because you're not getting any more for another several weeks. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, go check them out at Amazon, G-R-U-B-B-E-T-S, Grubettes, and compare that price. Um, all right, let's head over to the phone lines. We've got a great show performing a physical exam and identifying ascites. Uh, many know it as water belly in chickens. And we'll bring on our good friend, regular contributor to this podcast and Chicken Whisperer magazine and all the Chicken Whisperer books, poultry veterinarian Dr. Poteski. Thank you very much for joining us today, Doc. Appreciate you. Great. Thanks for having me, Andy. Hope things are going well where you are. Yeah, we're doing pretty good, hanging in there, uh, getting ready for the last three months of this year, which I'm sure is going to be a roller coaster ride with everything that's going on <laughs> with uh, you know, the pandemic, and now you enter all the election information, and then now you've got the regular flu season coming on in October, November. It's it's going to be a heck of a ride. We're, we're buckling up, getting ready for that, but um, it is what it is. It's 2020. <laughs> I guess anything yeah. can happen. Yeah, you forgot the fires. Let the fires, fires out, out in your way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I, now, I, I've been telling people I miss the good old days when we used to just have a pandemic to deal with. <laughs> right. Or, <laughs> hey, hey, just just don't use the E word out there, earthquake, um, because we definitely <laughs> don't, want to, don't want to throw that into the mix out there, out towards the way in California. <laughs> that, that's definitely for sure. Um, but, yeah, yeah but yeah. you know what? We can break away from all of that and talk about chickens, which is awesome. Everybody loves to do that. Let's get our mind off of the uh, 2020 shenanigans for a little bit and talk about a hobby that everybody loves, uh, regardless of what they're going through right now, uh, and that is chickens. And today you'll be talking about something very important, performing a physical exam, kind of what to look for, and, and of course, we'll kind of piggyback, segue off of that into the uh, identifying ascites and and, and at the end of the day, is there really anything we we can do about that um, to to save that bird? Or maybe if we do have a bird that has it, boy, did I do something wrong? Or did they get into something? Or is it just going to be? It is just it comes with the territory with chickens on occasion. So um, we're looking forward to see what all you can share about this. Well, good. Um, so the first thing I want to mention um, before we kind of give some background on how to even kind of assess or diagnose societies, just some basic physical exam kind of um, pointers. Um, first thing I want to mention is, so usually when by the time the birds have ascites, it's too late at that point. Um, so this is where I give my, I kind of wag my finger and talk a little about prevention. So we all know that uh, an ounce of prevention is worth, uh, you know, a, a ton of, I can't, I can't remember the exact metaphor, but you get the idea prevention, 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 especially when it comes to poultry diseases. Um, so there, there is not a lot of great treatment options. And um, if you're lucky enough to live near someone who really specializes in this stuff, um, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to spend a lot of money um, on, on something that might not have a, a very desirable outcome versus, um, you know, being disciplined about diet and um, fastidious about feed quality and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So um, before we kind of discuss societies, I think it's really important just to understand kind of what a normal bird looks and feels like. It's, it's a little hard over a podcast, but um, mm-hmm. I was looking through some of my old notes last night, and I want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, Dr. Michelle Hawkins, who is a faculty member at the UC Davis School of Vet Med and focuses on exotic animals, including um, um, birds, um, you know, is, is, has done a lot of nice work. And, and I'm kind of really working from some of the notes that she's provided in the past um, to her mm-hmm. students on how to do a physical exam of, of a backyard chicken. So if you were going to vet school, this is kind of like the lecture that you get. Um, maybe, you know, obviously some PowerPoint mixed in there, but um, mm-hmm. I'll do my best to kind of go over kind of how you assess the birds. And then when we get down to the abdominal cavity, um, the guts will we'll concentrate a little more on ascites. Um, but I thought I just didn't want to give uh, ascites just by itself because I, I thought it would be good to give some context and uh, hopefully um, that'll be helpful. I think some of the stuff is common sense, you know, 90 something percent of every profession is common sense. And, and I think we all kind of know that in our own little world, but um, sometimes it's good to kind of hear stuff a second or third time or, um, you know, just to know kind of how, what, what we're taught to do and, and it'll make, you know, intuitive sense, I think to you for the most part. And then you'll hopefully pick mm-hmm. up a few little pointers. Um, but when you're first kind of looking at a flock, you know, in the morning or the afternoon, whatever it be, it's really good to kind of stand from a distance and just um, watch them. Um, I think, again, we kind of intuitively know that, but sometimes we're in a rush and we're not paying attention. Sometimes we're talking on the phone and they hear us and, and we, we kind of disturb them from kind of their natural kind of um, behavior. So, um, you know, you, you kind of want to look at them. Um, and, you know, I've said this in the past, hopefully, but um, the most important thing to do if you know what normal looks like, it is really easy to figure out when something's abnormal. But if you don't know what normal looks, looks like, then when you're talking to your friends or a vet or, or whatever it be, you're going to be like, is that normal or not abnormal? Um, and let, me inter- let me interject. how often this, that question comes. Let me interject. Mm-hmm. This is a perfect example because literally in the last 10 days, it may have been a little over a week, but it wasn't two weeks out. So in the last seven or 10 days, someone in a Facebook um, chicken group slash forum posted a picture of her one of her hens and their feet and I wish I would have saved that picture just to use it for kind of educational purposes in the future but um, it had I don't know doc if it was a bumblefoot that went awry or an abscessed or whatever it was but it basically looked like about the size of bigger than a golf ball um, but smaller than a baseball to give you an idea, maybe tennis ball size. Um, it basically, so it looked like a tennis ball with some toes coming out of it. Um, and there's no way that, that that chicken could could walk with that. You know, so, of course, a lot of the comments were, and you want to help this young lady and lead her in the right direction, but a lot of the comments were, how in the world could you not notice this before it got to that point? I mean, they were pretty, they were roasting her pretty good about that. And and I, my comment there was, you know, uh, it was very generic. I said, folks, one of the best tools you could have uh, in your say first first aid kit is a five gallon bucket. Um, and we we've talked about this before. You know, sit on that five gallon bucket and observe your flock, hold your birds, get a weight, get an idea of what feels right, what doesn't, look at them, examine them head to toe, you know, maybe not every week, but, you know, at least once a month. But that five-gallon bucket can be such an important tool, like you just said, so you know what the norm is, and you'll be able to identify uh, some issues right maybe as they start, uh, because it was it was like, how in the world? the world did you not notice this when it was the size of a, a quarter a half dollar or a dollar coin or now it's, it looks literally looks like the uh, uh this this growth the size of a softball i mean, I mean a, a tennis ball with just you could see the little toes coming out of it and we were like oh my goodness gracious and you know of course all the information was you know uh not great at this point but it was but i'm glad you mentioned that because i I have i've said when i first say that hey a five gallon bucket is one of your best friends in your first aid kit or and they look at me strange until i tell them sit on it and observe and hold and handle your birds so you'll know when something starts to go wrong sooner rather than later so thanks for sharing that too but i wanted to share that story as well how in just the last seven to ten days a perfect example of identifying your birds how that can happen how 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 that's important Thank you for that. 
No, no, completely agree. I, I always love when the owners really double down and they say, nope, it showed up today. It was normal last night. And you're like thinking in your head like that's impossible. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> like yep. your kids are telling you something that you, everyone knows is not true, but they, they double down <laughs> on it and really lean into it. So we all, we all have our stubborn moments. I, I, I understand, but it is kind of interesting. Yep. Um, so, so just a couple things on, you know, kind of when you're looking at them from a distance. So are they, you know, what we call BAR, are they bright, alert, and responsive um, to their environment, to each other? How are they interacting with the flock? Um, you know, if they're standing, if one bird's standing off to the side, um, that's probably somewhat abnormal, something we want to kind of keep an eye on. Um, if you have a memory like mine, get a notebook out or, or have, a, um, have a laptop where you have a file where you, you write some notes. Again, kind of knowing what normal and abnormal is, this is where I'll kind of re-mention um, the idea of having a spreadsheet, just where you're kind of capturing every day, you know, it depends how, how detailed you want to get, but, you know, even simple things like, well, how much, how many eggs are, are my hens producing every day? Um, how much feed are they consuming? How much water are they consuming? You, you can get as much into this as you want. And that's what the commercial world does. And they have nice little slick automated ways of doing this, but um, what's my weight of my bird? You know, all, all those things can, mm-hmm. can really be kind of captured and, you kind of have to decide what, what you're comfortable with and not, not comfortable with what's, what's the bridge too far. But, um, you know, doing that at some level is, is really, really valuable. Um, reminding me of a story. My wife has a friend who, for some reason, the husband is kind of a gearhead and he has this little notebook and he, he writes in it every single time he fills up a gas tank and he writes what the mileage is and keeps a couple notes there. He does absolutely nothing with it and he's kept it for years. Um, but some of us just have that kind of personality where we just want to capture mm-hmm. data and we want to keep track of it and it makes us feel, I don't know, in control of a situation. So um, I realize that's more of a behavioral thing than not, but it's, it is good to have that because then when that rainy day comes and you're like, okay, doc, you know, here's what I got. We were making five eggs a day, you know, for the last, you know, three months. And then all of a sudden we're down to one for the last two days or three days or four days. And, 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 and you'd be surprised how that kind of information can really be helpful, especially because when you think about disease, nutritional, infectious, um, cancers, all those type of things, we, the, the sooner, as we all know in our own, you know, kind of, you know, experiences, the sooner we can find a problem, the, the, the better luck we'll have in, in getting a positive outcome. So it is good to keep that. I also, you know, with kids, I think it's it's a good way to teach kids um, the practical aspect of, of of animal husbandry and and how to you know run a business and and all those things. Like how much did that egg really cost? Is it was it a free egg? No, well, probably not. Obviously, because we had to pay for feed and water and those kind of things. So I think there is some great learning experiences there. Um, so anyway, back to our physical exam. Are they bright, alert, and responsive? Uh, where are they? You know, are they by themselves? Are they with the flock? Um, do they have a healthy appetite? Uh, what's our egg production like? Uh, has it been interrupted by anything? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when we have predators around, egg production can stop for a few days to even a few weeks because, um, you know, only really healthy, quote unquote, happy birds will, will, will produce eggs. Um, a chicken with abnormal behavior, um, when you're looking at them from a distance, they'll be separate. Um, reluctant to move. That might be because, you know, they're, they're, they're spooked a little or there might be a lameness there. So now if there's a lameness, there's, there's things we might be thinking about. You know, is there bumblefoot going on? Merrick's disease? Um, was mm-hmm. there some kind of trauma or other type of, uh, you know, physical kind of problem with, um, you know, some kind of wing or, or, or leg bone? Um, look for, again, from this distance, uh, look for uh, ruffled, uh, fluffed up plumage and feathers. Um, do the birds look from a distance? Do they look anorexic at all? Are they, do they have a hunched appearance? Sometimes that can be a sign that they're not feeling well. Um, you know, birds are, are obviously, you know, wild animals and, and animals by their nature evolutionarily have been selected to hide pain, right? So in our, in our society, when you're, um, if you're not feeling well, you, you kind of want to be a squeaky wheel and, and, and you can get, you know, maybe a little more hot cocoa or something from, from your mom or dad. But in, in nature, if you show weakness, then you're, you're going to be dinner for somebody, right? So 
um, different motives. But so, so what I'm trying to say is that birds are unfortunately very good, especially at, at kind of hiding sicknesses and illnesses. And uh, we have to be very observant because of that. Um, so if you if possible examine droppings of individual birds or just generally examine the litter for droppings, um, um, it, it, you know, you're, you're it's, it's a good, you're not going to, obviously because of the way that the, um, urine is produced in bird, you can't really, you can't really look at the, any kind of urate components of the droppings, but you certainly can observe for diarrhea and diarrhea is not normal. Blood, um, in stool is not normal. Um, those can obviously be signs of um, bacterial, viral, protozoal infections, coccidia, things like that. And some of those things can be treated. So, so you know, I always talk about prevention, and, and I kind of am a little um, maybe uh, jaded on, on some treatments. But, but there are some things that, that some diseases we can treat, but there's just others that, 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 that we just are, are not very good at, 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 uh, at treating, but we are very good at preventing. So now you've done this kind of examination using that, you know, that, that bucket, which I, I love that, uh, that, 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 that explanation. I'll, I'll start using that. There's a couple of <laughs> stories of yours I'm starting to notice that are coming into my uh, kind of repertoire here. So I, I need to give credit where credit's due. Um, so now physical exams, and, and these are things that, you know, maybe you're observing your birds, you know, once a week and, and a physical exam you're doing kind of, you know, once a week also, um, or, or once every other week again, you know, great ways to kind of, the more physical exams, and this is something you learn in vet school, the more physical exams you do, the better you get at it. This is not, you know, brain surgery, um, you know, rocket, you know, rocket making or anything like that. It, it's repetition. And if you get, if you figure out again, what a normal bird feels like, it becomes so easy to palpate fractures and, um, um, you know, all kinds of reproductive problems in the abdomen and um, vitamin deficiencies and, and all these other things that, that kind of come up in all kinds of um, interesting kind of ways that, that physical exams reveal. Um, so start with the basics, start with the respiratory rate. So again, before handling the bird, obviously when you pick up a bird, their, their respiratory rate is going to probably increase a little. Um, is the bird open beak breathing? Um, does that correlate with the weather? If it's, you know, hundred degrees out, sure, they should be open beak breathing, but, but if it's not, and, and that only one bird is doing that, eh, that's going to make me kind of wonder, uh, you know, if that's normal or not. One of the nice things about having a flock and, you know, flock is anything more than one is that you can compare, you know, one bird to the other. You can be like, yep, that bird is not acting like, you know, the other five birds in my flock. So that's always nice to have as kind of a, um, kind of a benchmark, if you will. Um, so what's the color of the comb? So um, before and after handling, um, the comb is obviously this very highly vascularized um, piece of tissue uh, that, that facilitates kind of uh, heat dissipation. So in hotter weather, combs are, are, can kind of be very handy, actually, in, in trying to cool birds off. Um, you know, you, you want to make sure that comb is, is nice and red. Um, that there are no um, little nodules on them that can be, or scabs on them that can be consistent with uh, a disease called dry pox. Um, so keeping an eye on, on those types of tissues is really important. Um, weighing your bird, we talked about that a little earlier. Um, you know, not a hard thing to do. Um, you can, you know, wrap your chicken kind of in a, in a blanket um and, and kind of make a burrito out of them and, and weigh yourself and then weigh yourself with the bird on it and that, that's the way you can kind of uh weigh a bird um in a in a barn of ten thousand broilers or layers there are scales in there and you know you will um kind of automatically collect those weights and, and try to understand what's going on even in the old days they would still weigh you know 30 40 birds every day just to make sure that birds are gaining weight at an appropriate level. Because um, um, as we talked about before, um, the bird's not gaining weight, that could be for all kinds of reasons, could be for disease, could be that we don't have water there. Remember, one of the best predictors of, of, of feed production is water consumption. So if they're not eating as much, you're like, huh, what's their water consumption? Because their water consumption roughly should be about twice the weight of their feed consumption. Um, so measure their weight periodically. What I mean by periodically is, you know, whatever you're comfortable with. Every day is probably a little too much. Um, you know, once every six months, probably a little too, 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 too little. But, you know, it's something in between there, once a month or something in a perfect world. You don't have to do all your birds, but 
Um, again, if you're doing five birds or something like that, and you have a flock of, of five or, or a flock of 10, um, that should give you an idea. Now where it gets a little more confusing, I think, or a little more challenging with backyard owners is that you usually have mixed age flocks. That's, that's almost 100% of the time, just the reality and different species and, and different breeds in there, excuse me. Um, so that, that can be challenging to, to, you might have to, you know, just weigh a few of them or weigh all of them if, if there are some breed differences and age differences, for example. Uh, the other thing is assess hydration. Um, this is important, hot or cold. Um, so after weighing to help determine kind of, you know, how well hydrated a, a bird is, there's a couple ways to do it. Um, you can, you can measure what's called, um, skin turgor. Um, so mm-hmm. that kind of mm-hmm. upper eyelid and um, the rolling the skin over the keel, um, those, are, those are things you can kind of feel. Um, you kind of tense them up a little, and if they spring back, um, then, they, then they're, they're very well, their tissue is well hydrated. And if that tissue on the upper eyelid and the keel, after you've kind of tented it, almost like pinched it, if it doesn't go back very quickly, then um, they're, they're probably not as well hydrated. The other indication is what we call venous refill time or capillary refill time, CRT, of the brachial vein. So the brachial vein you'll see on our arms, kind of around um, in, 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 in our arms um, for, for our, our, our brachium, our arm. A bird obviously doesn't have an arm, they have a wing. Um, so um, you actually will, if you, if you gently take out a couple feathers, on the um, underside of their wing, you actually will see some, some uh, veins there. And if you push on that um, and the vein immediately becomes, um, uh, it immediately refills. So when you push on it, just like when you push on your own, you know, kind of veins, it kind of becomes kind of white. Um, and then the blood refills because you were basically blocking off the, the, the blood flow and now it's refilling. So that, that capillary refill time should literally be about one second. And if it's not, then you're like, huh, my birds or birds are dehydrated. Why are they dehydrated? And there's obviously simple and complex reasons that's ha- 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 happening. Excuse me. Um, so, um, and the more you do that, again, the more you know what normal is. So when you're like, whoa, that capillary refill time is not normal, then that, that's something that you'll, you'll be able to, to appreciate, which is, you know, that's nine-tenths of the battle right there. A few other things um, before we kind of get to the gut. Um, Examine the head and neck. So um, birds should hold their heads high. Um, It should be symmetrical. So it should be kind of, uh, they shouldn't have a head tilt. Um, There is um, several diseases, especially in young chicks, um, related to what we call rye neck or uh, torticollis. Um, and that can be caused by um, infections in the middle ear. It can be caused by trauma. Um, again, when you're looking at that head, make sure that the comb um, is non-flaccid, that there's some kind of uh, almost like a muscular feeling to it, uh, and make sure it's free of those scabs when you're looking at that, that head, because those scabs can be sign of, of dry pox. That's actually one of my favorite diseases, because I get all these people that always send me photographs, mm-hmm. and nine times out of 10, you know, it's like, well, your bird has diarrhea, but I'm, I can't tell you why it has diarrhea. I, I, I don't have a microscope in, in embedded in, into your, into your photograph, but those scabs on the comb, that is, is one of the easiest diseases to diagnose that dry pox issue. So um, very rarely can I actually tell someone over a photograph what we're dealing with, but dry pox is one of the few ones where I can. Um, so, Going back to the head, the head should be free of swelling, swelling, so it shouldn't be inflamed or enlarged, or you shouldn't be able to kind of, it shouldn't feel edematous, it shouldn't feel kind of squishy, basically, around the eyes, so, so they can have uh, sinusitis um, kind of infections, and those can be related to other diseases we've talked about in the, pla- in the past, including uh, mycoplasma um, and, and pastorella, um, in, among other diseases. Um, eyes should be clear, bright, and round. So um, Merrick's disease, among other diseases, um, is, can cause almost like a blueness um, and a haziness to the eyes. Um, look for discharge around the eyes. That, that, um, that, that, like as I mentioned, that blue to gray discoloration of that, of that um, in younger birds, typically I'd say below about 14 weeks-ish or so, will, will be consistent with Merrick's disease. 
Maris disease, again, number one killer backyard birds in, in the U.S. Um, and, and a very challenging, um, impossible disease to deal with if you don't vaccinate and um, practice good husbandry. So, so we've talked about Maris in the past, but, you know, if you're really going to look at what kills backyard birds and, and, and you know, then we should probably spend an appropriate amount of time talking about it. Maris disease is the number, is the number one guy. Um, and it, it, the vaccination is, is effective. It's not perfect. Um, but um, there's some great, um, very easy, very inexpensive vaccinations um, that, that exist um, and that, that, that can be done by your hatchery or by yourself if, if need be. Um, just like the eyes need to be clear of, of kind of crusty, cruddy type stuff and discharge, uh, the external nares, the nostrils also need to be free of those. So, so keep an eye on that. The beak should be smooth, uh, free of cracks, and the tips should come to a point. So um, there are vitamin deficiencies where the, the beak itself can, can, get, can almost become pliable um, from a vitamin D deficiency. Um, so, and that's related to calcium absorption and all these type of things. So sometimes you'll see a lot of nutritional diseases in, in people that are very keen um, to make their own diets, or they got a bad batch of feed, or they give, to your earlier point um, in the introduction, uh, they give too many treats. Because remember, if a layer bird's eating maybe 120 grams of feed a day, roughly or so, and remember, it's a hot day, they're going to eat less. Mm-hmm. And if you're giving them, um, you know, even, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20% of, of snacks, because you're like, oh, it's hot, they're uncomfy, blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, you can run into problems. And, and I think a lot of nutritional problems are, are, are more related to chronic issues than kind of an acute, like you just gave them treats for, for one day. Um, mm-hmm. but, but you will run into problems eventually. I, I know people will always say, you know, anecdotally, like, well, we don't have problems. We're fine. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's great, you know, but, but don't give that advice to everyone else because um, at some point, you know, you're going to deal with a breed that just can't handle you know, that many treats um, as opposed to maybe your magical breed that, you know, in that, in that situation is, is doing fine until, you know, of course it's not doing fine. Um, I always, so kind of moving I, into the, Oh yeah. After having all of you experts on the show over all, you know, 12, 15 years, I long time ago had, had decided to not say, because early on when I was traveling and doing workshops uh, or just talking to folks, you know, I'd say, I'd, I'd fall into that trap that, oh yeah, look at my flock. They, my birds are healthy, and I mean, you will never hear me say that, whether it be in person or in 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 a, in, um, a workshop or when I hear people say or if I, I say something about whatever, they'll say, oh no, my my flock is my flocks are healthy. I have the healthiest birds, and you know, you try not to be a you try not to be a jerk about it, but you still want to say. Um, I don't even say I have a healthy flock because when was the last time you had them tested for anything? I mean, how many birds out there, uh, Dr. Potesky, are running around uh, with mycoplasma? I mean, is that a healthy bird? How many have uh, uh, salmonella and are shedding salmonella but yet still appear perfectly healthy? Um, and so I, I stopped a long time ago just saying, oh, my birds are absolutely healthy because I'm the chicken whisperer, um, you know, or whatever, you know. <laughs> so it's like, no, I, I never say that because I was I've never had my birds tested for mycoplasma or salmonella either. So, you know, you can assume some things, but I'm just like, I, I feel like you're healthy or they appear healthy to me. But, and there's a lot of stuff after that, but <laughs> that could come into play with this quote unquote healthy looking bird. So I'm glad you said that. And that's, that's something I learned a long time ago uh, after listening to a lot of you experts come on the show. So, um, and, and it's hard to relay that message without sound, sounding like a jerk. I have a healthy flock. Oh, really? When was the last time you had them tested for anything? You know, people take it the wrong way. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. they could have mycoplasma, they could have salmonella, but so I'm glad you, um, uh, got that point across uh, as well. No, and I, I, you know, just to reiterate on that before we we, we mm-hmm. kind of finished the some of the physical exam, it, it's actually you, you make a really good point. So psychologically, it's really important that that we understand that our birds can be carriers of disease, um, even if they're vaccinated. So, so I think um, I'm really interested in, you know, we do a lot of disease modeling in our lab, and I'm really interested in like, you know, when we do. Um, increased vaccination rates for, let's say, virulent Newcastle disease in fighting birds and in backyard poultry, 
is the unintended consequence going to be that people now are going to assume that their their birds are, you know, they have this uh, force field around them and that they can go wherever they want. And, and the reality is they can still be carriers and transmit disease to unvaccinated birds. So um, it is important from a behavior and psychology perspective for us to realize like, okay, our birds are healthy, but that doesn't mean they're not carriers of disease um, until, until proven otherwise. And, and we kind of need to operate on that, that assumption because as I think we all know, Avian diseases, you know, we have human pandemics, avian, uh, animal pandemics we call epizootics, and, and we have those all the time, um, and, and we need to, to do our best now that we really understand infectious diseases in, in humans, um, and the consequences of them, we need to do our best on, on the animal side also to, to prevent disease transmission. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I was going to mention, so the oral cavity, um, just, you know, kind of op- you can open up the, the beak very gently um, and, and look at all the structures and, and, and feel for any masses. You can get these little plaques in there. We call oropharyngeal plaques, and that can be um, because of fungal infections, pox virus, which we talked about, a little about those scabs that you'll sometimes see on the, um, on the comb, and also um, some vitamin, uh, vitamin A deficiencies. Um, so palpate the crop. So now we're out of the mouth. We're moving down. Um, so underneath the beak, you'll, you'll find like almost like a little pouch that you can kind of palpate. Um, it's a little kind of pendulous little doohickey that kind of is uh, kind of within the uh, just, just kind of south of the, of the mouth and the beak. Um, you know, it, 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 I, it, every once in a while, I've had a couple people email me that they can palpate a tumor. Uh, on their neck, um, and that's the crop, and that crop fills with food, and then, you know, maybe within an hour, a little less than that, that, that crop will empty into um, the esophagus and then into the, into the, into the proventriculus, but um, just, just be aware that it's there, um, that you can get impactions in the crop. Um, it should feel, it should have some, some muscle tone to it, so it shouldn't feel just like a sack. Um, but, but they sometimes do get some, um, muscular issues there. Um, and obvi- the one thing you do want to kind of look for is an impacted crop. So we've seen before, mm-hmm. um, when you have birds that are on pasture, um, that you can get a lot of impacted crops. And those kind of, when you open up the bird on necropsy, among other things, you'll just see these long pieces of grass that are just all mm-hmm. over the gut, including the crop. And they, they kind of just jam everything up in there. So um, it does happen. And, and one of the ways that we think that you probably would address that, let's say you had a couple birds that, that died from impactions, and, but you're like, hey, we, want, we have to keep our birds on pasture. This is a big thing for us. So in that scenario, I, I would suggest you know, cutting your grass lower, your pasture lower. And then if you are going to feed them some of that grass, remember birds are not uh, ruminants, so they're not actually getting energy from it, but they can get some vitamins from uh, from the grass itself, and that's what gives, among other things, the eggs, um, the carotenoids that give the eggs that rich orange color, um, but they're not getting actual energy from it, um, so you kind of want to limit that, but you can give them some some chopped up, um, almost the equivalent of like hay from that grass. Um, you just don't want to give it, if you have impactions as an issue, you want to make sure that it's not those long, uh, that was grass, because we, we've seen that in our flock, actually, Davis. That was I was about to ask about that. There's a lot of people, especially um, in the last ten years, they're they're the urban chicken keeper, they're the pet chicken folks, and they'll go out and mow their grass with a, a snapper lawnmower with a bag attached, and then they just empty that bag over into the run for now their coo- their chickens to come over and and have a smorgasbord. If, if some do, I hear some don't on these long two to three inch long pieces of fescue and or whatever grass that they may have at whatever region they're at. Um, is do, do you see that enough? Um, I mean, with, with all the treats that people are buying and giving and all the food scraps people are buying or giving uh, w- with the amount that you see that those long pieces of grass and there's so many other probably better options. And I use that word very cautiously, better options to treat their birds. Uh, do you see that enough to probably just, you know, come out and say, you know, we, it's, you know, everything that's available today as far as a treat uh, or snack, maybe this is something due to the potential risk of the impacted crop. Just hold back on that if you can. And, you know, give, give your mealworms, give your black soldier fly larvae, give your pieces of cantaloupe. But if you're going to, you know, if, if anything, just stop pouring that bag of grass into the run and letting them have at it. There's, there's some risks involved there. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, okay, so as epidemiologists, how much of this do we see? Not a ton, but is that because, yeah. you know, there's just not mm-hmm. a lot of birds that are doing this? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I think if you talk to some of the pasture poultry producers that, that are listening or that are out there, they'll be like, we've done this for 20 years and never had a problem. Right. Um, right. That could be because of, of how they, that they're, they're letting them eat smaller kind of pieces of grass and not these kind of longer, longer ones. Could be some breed issues. You know, could just be, you know, who knows? We, we, we don't know a lot about this kind of stuff. Well, um, I think I, if you I, look, it, it doesn't provide energy. Right. Go on. I was going to say, if you look, and I've observed this before, I mean, early, early on, because we, you know, you, you, we've done it before where we pick some grass and throw it in the run for them. But I've noticed if, if they're out in the lawn, back, we have a homestead now, but, you know, when we had that yard in, in suburbia, and you see them actually eating the grass, the whole blade doesn't come up. You know, they, they when you watch them with their beak, they, they pinch and twist, and the piece that they're naturally getting from existing grass, not cut grass, uh, that piece is much smaller than the two- or three-inch long blade that I would then, say, empty the lawnmower bag in. So uh, maybe in mm-hmm. that kind of pasture-raised, if they're going out in the pasture and they're actually cutting that uh, – pasture and it's laying there i don't know but whatever they do to make go oh, and make hay out of it or to bale it but um then the, i guess that there's an opportunity there for the birds to get longer pieces based on how it's cut versus if you just have untouched pasture and they're choosing and you know picking whatever grass pieces they want that those just from what i've observed those pieces that that bird's going to pinch off are much smaller than if you cut that pasture and now mm-hmm. you've got loose laying long pieces of whatever that pasture whatever type of grass that is but um, no that's fine we don't need to beat this horse i just wanted to know if you saw it enough maybe to say yeah there's plenty of things you can do that would be better maybe if there's anything you're going to kind of put your foot down on this would be it but but that's you know no big deal i was just curious if you saw it enough to make it a big deal no, I, I agree with you in the sense that if you're going to do it, make sure it's not long pieces of grass. That that would be kind of you know that 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 we've learned that the hard way. So um, and and maybe there's other folks that are like, eh, they, we haven't had a problem with that, but we we definitely have learned that the hard way. And there is some literature on that, including um, I had a student write a paper I think last year on that. So I can I can share that with you if you'd like to share it mm-hmm. with your with your folks. Cool. Um, so um, yeah, I I agree. It's a problem. I think you know. Some of the welfare and behavior folks would say, well, it's an enrichment and they like play there. I think mm-hmm. the same welfare and behavior folks would also would also agree that backyard birds and pasture birds have a lot of enrichments already. I mean, they're 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 having a lot of fun right. out there. So um, that's usually not not an issue. So that that okay. it, taking that away to your point wouldn't wouldn't eliminate all the other enrichments that mm-hmm. they have. Okay. Um, so a couple other things. So. Um, Check the feathers for lice and mites. Um, lice like to lay their eggs at the base of feather shafts, so go all the way down to the to the base to look for those uh, little eggs. Um, the feathers in the tail and the vent region should also be clean and free from any kind of poop, fecal material, whatever you want to call it. Um, so that can they can get these kind of pasty vent areas, which we've talked a little about before. Uh, those can be indicative of, of various uh, intestinal, you know, infectious diseases. So. Um, also look for the Euro, as long as you're back there, the uropygial gland, um, kind of what produces some of the, the oils at the base of the tail, just north of, of the cloaca. Look for uh, masses, abscesses, impactions, things like that. Um, the pectoral muscles, so uh, those should be full and firm. Um, you know, there are these things called body condition scores. Uh, layer birds, you know, typically you will be able to feel that, that keel or breastbone. Uh, if you're raising broilers, that should be more difficult to palpate and feel because now you want, you know, a lot of breast meat on those birds. Um, so different genetics, uh, different nutrition, um, different expectations on, on what you should feel. But, you know, you will, um, you want to kind of feel for, you know, do this, does this bird seem emaciated? Does it seem like it's lost weight? So um, if, you, if you've got a great memory, there are these body condition scores. It's like one through five and there's good diagrams online and, you know, if you're, if you're getting a three, a three, a three, and all of a sudden you get a one, that's a problem. And then, you know, probably the bigger issue for backyard owners is, is having a lot of fives, basically obese birds that are a little heavy. 
um, that can can cause all the problems we're going to talk about in a couple minutes um, with respect to liver failure. Um, the um, also just feel for any kind of ulcerations or scabs. Um, you can get um, um, some problems on, on the breasts themselves, especially if they get too heavy. Um, um, and this is more of a commercial thing typically, but, they, but that can be kind of a problem. Um, so I'm going to get to ascites because I don't want us to, 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 you know, kind of anyone who is really interested in that topic for us to, to lose that. Um, there was other stuff I want to go over. We can, we can do more physical exam stuff uh, later if we have time. But uh, so palpate the, the abdomen. Um, and, and this is where, you know, kind of, I think practice will, will get you eventually kind of to a stage where you're comfortable knowing what's normal and, and non-normal. We call the abdomen the coelom. Um, because uh, backyard birds, as, as we all know, they live longer than commercial birds. Um, you, you will feel a lot of stuff in backyard birds that you don't feel in commercial birds. So you, you definitely tumors. Um, so there are a couple of causes, including Merrick's disease that, that can cause tumors and another virus called avian leukosis virus that can also cause tumors. Um, and you can, you can feel those, um, those, those, those masses. Um, differentiating those from soft and hard shell eggs, which can also be palpated, um, can be a little more challenging. Um, identifying birds that are egg-bound um, and understanding that they're actually egg-bound and that they're, it's normal, um, you know, kind of physiological egg production that's going on, um, that also takes a little time. Um, but one of the things that you will um, periodically palpate is, is kind of water in the belly. Water belly, or the fancy word is ascites. So ascites is just a fancy word for a condition in which fluid uh, accumulates within the chicken's abdomen. Uh, and this causes the abdomen to become enlarged and appear swollen. Um, and there is a variety of reasons this happens. And I, I want to kind of mention just a few of them. I, I, I don't want to overwhelm people, but I want to kind of just mm -hmm. mention a couple very common ones. So one of them is liver failure. Um, and, and that liver failure can happen typically from two primary reasons. Uh, one is mycotoxins. So mycotoxins are produced by um, uh, fungal, um, by fungi, and uh, those, those, those mycotoxins or aflatoxins specifically um, will be produced in feed where there is a lot of mold. So if you are in, you know, kind of Georgia and it's humid and your feed, you're not keeping in a nice dry space, I promise you at some point you will have mold problems and the mold um, you might not always see or visibly detect. Uh, very often you will and you can get rid of that feed. Um, but often what you'll do is um, you'll open up your feed and it'll, it'll look moldy. And, and sometimes what people do is like, ah, oh, it's fine. I'm going to feed that to my birds. And that can cause and will cause in, in many cases liver damage. Um, and livers um, will produce uh, all kinds of proteins in your body, and I'll talk about why that's important in a second. The other reason that's very common, uh, as you mentioned earlier, is fatty liver syndrome, um, and that will also, um, as you eat too much, uh, potato chips basically, when you're, when you're eating chicken scratch, for example, um, your liver will basically just become uh, a big chunk of fat, and, and it won't function to make the proteins that it needs to make. So, the reason, and, and um, I want to just explain this there very briefly, but the reason, so the liver has produced a lot of protein. Your blood has a lot of protein in it, right? You've got red blood cells in there. You've got this stuff called albumin in there, all kinds of other stuff running through your blood. And there is this thing called osmosis, and I just want to very briefly just mention it. So water um, likes to go from a high concentration of water to a low concentration of water. So if you have a blood vessel and it has a lot of protein in it, then water is going to move um, from outside of the body into the blood vessel. But if you have a blood vessel that doesn't have a lot of protein in it, then water is going to move from the vessel outside of that blood vessel. And outside of that blood vessel is your abdomen, and that's why that water will accumulate. So if your liver is not working, it's not making enough protein to get mixed in with the, with the blood, the water in your blood vessels, which is, you know, good chunk of, of the total volume, total weight, um, whatever calculation you want to use in those blood vessels, that water is going to leave by osmosis through the membrane of your, of, your, of your blood vessel. And now all that water is building up in the abdomen. 
Can you do anything about that? Well, for humans in the hospital, absolutely we can do that, right? So we have great doctors that will, that will um, give us all types of different what we call hypertonic fluids and all these other things that, that nephrologists and all these, these folks are, are, are really good at. Can we do that with chickens? Sure. Do you want to spend several thousand dollars to do that? <laughs> eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, yeah. You reminded me of one line where they say that the, uh, the dumbest kidney is still smarter than the smartest doctor. So uh, my point is kidneys are actually really good at figuring out how to get fluids um, back into veins and arteries and things like that in order to compensate for, for maybe, you know, problems that livers mm -hmm. are having or to compensate for, for stupid doctors. Um, and um, so they can do that, but, but there's, you know, limitations on everything. Right. Um, so um, my, um, my, my recommendation is, you know, when we're thinking about aflatoxins, we can prevent that, right? We keep our feed in a dry space. When we're thinking about fatty liver syndrome, we can prevent that. We can, you know, significantly reduce treats, right? So those are things we can, can we prevent ascites? Eh, maybe, maybe not, um, but it's going to be expensive. And, and maybe there's also an infectious cause. So the, the other kind of combinations, the other two things I kind of wanted to mention that will also cause that um, um, ascites is egg yolk peritonitis. So when egg yolks are, um, um, when the egg is, is cracked inside the bird and you have a huge infection, that can also cause ascites. Um, when you have ectopic eggs, so when the egg doesn't kind of come out the cloaca, it's, it's kind of on the outside of the cloaca, that can cause also this kind of inflammatory response, which will lead to, among other things, ascites. And the last one is ovarian cancer. So in older hens, um, you know, we're, we're, the genetics of, of chickens is, is, you know, not conducive to chickens living, you know, five, 10 years, like, like some of our, our owners do, and which is amazing. Um, and one of the things that typically ends up being their undoing is that they're, they're still trying to physiologically produce an egg every 25 hours or so. And that causes a lot of challenges um, and will lead potentially to tumors, which can lead to, among other things, some of these kind of, um, excuse me, water belly or ascites type issues. So um, just something to kind of be aware of. Those are the, the main things. But the, 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 the two biggies that I see quite a bit is the aflatoxin. And I think you'll probably see that more in your neck of the woods because of, of humidity issues mm -hmm. um, and the fatty liver syndrome. You know, I would consider those, if I was going to assign blame, I'd be like, yep, those are owner issues that we can control. The ovarian cancer and the egg yolk peritonitis, those are just, you know, kind of age type issue things that, that you know, we all got to die of something, unfortunately. So those are, are kind of relatively normal ways to go. And that, that shows that you raised your birds and now they're older and, you know, the inevitable is going to happen at some point um, related to that. You can have heart failure and some other things, but um, I didn't want to kind of focus on those too much because that's more of a of a production broiler kind of issue. Right. Um, the number one, whenever this comes up, whether they're showing a picture of it or they're describing a, a mushy belly, you know, fluid-filled belly, whatever, the number one Facebook group um, treatment is going to be go to tractor supply, buy a big syringe, draw that fluid out, and guess what? Everything will be fine. Um, and, and, and again, I guess in that situation, you, you're not going to spend money on a vet. You want to do it. You kind of help to prevent you know, pain and suffering for this bird, which may be, you know, to call it humanely. But just drawing that fluid out is not solving the problem. Am I correct? Because it will eventually, okay, now guess what? Tomorrow i got to draw more out, and tomorrow I have to draw more out. It's not just drawing that fluid out is not curing or fixing the problem of why that's fluid there. You're just removing that fluid. It allows more to, in most cases, is that, is that a correct assumption? That that's just, that's just a temporary yep. fix of fluid in the belly. It is. So, so there's nothing wrong with doing that as long as it's linked to, you know, kind of a additional treatments. And so we understand what's going on. Um, so if, if in, in human medicine and in veterinary medicine, the, those you know, ascites are somewhat common and we will, you know, tap the belly using kind of the fancy words or in, 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 in different cases, tap the chest in order to get that fluid out of there. 
um, because it's, that's part of our kind of treatment plan. Um, and there's, there's value in that. But to your point, if you don't treat the underlying problem, uh, next day, you know, 12 hours from then, whatever, you're going to have the mm-hmm. same exact problem again. So mm-hmm. if you're going to tap the belly, that's fine. And I, I've dealt with, you know, some backyard owners who are like nurses and doctors, and they can bring a little mm-hmm. butterfly, you know, yeah. 20 gauge needle home and aspirate the belly and, and, and other people that are, you know, kind of more ambitious can do that, even if they don't have that kind of training. But, mm-hmm. um, but unless you link it to, it's not like it's, it's, it's not like that was a one-time thing. Now you got to figure out. So now you want to look at that fluid and you can use you right. refractometers and all these kind of things to figure <laughs> out like, is right. this infectious? Is this, so there, there are ways to kind of, kind of work up those cases, but, but, you know, unless you're, if you're just going to do it as a one-time thing, I, yeah. I don't think you're, 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 you're maybe buying yourself a few hours or, or a day or right. two of, uh, of, of, of extra time. Right. Yeah. The, the, the ultimate, the, the, um, you're just delaying the inevitable, I guess, at that point. Yes. Yes. That's about all you're doing. Perfect. Okay. Um, fantastic. Is there um, anything else in your notes or in your uh, outline that you, we didn't get to share? Because uh, I think it was a fantastic show today, Doc. Good. The only thing I just want to kind of mention is is that neurologic evaluation. So you know, especially in younger birds, Merrick's disease is so common. So so look for birds that are um, paralytic. They're they're having difficulty walking. Um, you know, I think that the, the the common kind of description is is kind of a bird that has these splayed legs on the ground, but Merrick's disease will manifest itself in all kinds of ways. So I just tell people like, eh, if it's having difficulty walking and it's under, you know, 14, 15 weeks, eh, it's probably Merrick's. Um, so mm-hmm. that's something really important to pay attention to. And just because the bird was vaccinated, just because you got rid of all the dander where the, the Merrick's disease virus likes to kind of concentrate in these little uh, feather follicles doesn't mean um, that they can't uh, carry the virus. And then you know, the subtlety with Merrick's disease that I, I, I think is important maybe for people to start thinking through is that the, the, even the, you don't want to mix vaccinated and unvaccinated birds. So there, there is some research that suggests that, that vaccinated birds can actually transmit virus um, to unvaccinated birds, maybe even at a higher rate. And, and there is a, a logic behind that. And, you know, the best thing to do is vaccinate all your birds. Um, but if you have vaccinated and unvaccinated birds mixed together for some strange reason and they're younger, that, that, that could be, you know, a, a, maybe a, a not so good scenario. So my recommendation to everyone, I, I can't think of any reason why you wouldn't vaccinate your birds for Merrick's, including genetics. You know, the people that say, well, this, this breed is, is less likely to get it or is, is resistant to, to Merrick's. Maybe they're a little more resistant, but, but they are definitely not 100% resistant. So the vaccine are, are definitely there to help and are, you know, this is the number one killer backyard bird. So it is something mm-hmm. that deserves a lot of uh, attention. And, and if we really thinking about the health of our birds, that's where we should put a lot of our attention and efforts um, um, to, to preventing them from getting sick. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on again today. We will see you again in October, uh, the second mm-hmm. Thursday of every month. So we look forward to having another great topic uh, in October. And we thank you so much again, Dr. Poteski, for coming on today. We appreciate all your experience and all your help. Okay, great. Good. Take care, Andy. Nice talking to you again. You too. Thank you so much for coming on. Great show. When you need an incubator, think Brincy, the incubation specialists. Brincy has been a world-leading manufacturer of quality incubators for almost 40 years. They manufacture incubators that hold anywhere from 7 to 380 eggs with high-quality electronic and digital controls, including precise humidity controls and programmable egg turning, all at surprisingly affordable prices. Enter the coupon code WHISPER at checkout and receive 10% off your entire order. Order your new incubator today at Brincy.com. That's B-R-I-N-S-E-A.com. Cackle Hatchery is a third-generation, family-owned and operated hatchery. They offer over 193 varieties of poultry shipped directly from their facility in Missouri. It's their mission to enhance your life by providing you with quality poultry for showing, meat, enjoyment, eggs, and pets. They specialize in hatching purebred poultry and shipping day-old chicks right to your local post office since 1936. 
4-H and FFA Youth Poultry Clubs get a 10% discount. Check out their website, CackleHatchery.com, for posted weekly specials and discounts. That's CackleHatchery.com. Since 1921, Stromberg's has been a family-owned and operated business providing quality poultry and poultry supplies to their customers. Today, the Stromberg's family offers over 200 different breeds of poultry, including chickens, waterfowl, and game birds. They also offer poultry supplies for both the beginner and experienced poultry keeper. Stromberg should be on the top of your list when it's time to order your new day-old baby chicks and poultry supplies. Order online today at StrombergsChickens.com. That's StrombergsChickens.com. Chickens across the country are flocking to grubbits. These natural oven-dried black soldier fly larvae are sustainably raised right here in the USA. Grubbits account for 10 to 15% of a normal diet and are available at almost half the price of some competing brands. More calcium, stronger eggshells, healthier feathers, happier hens. Find Grubbits online at grubbits.com, on social media at Grubbits, or on Amazon. G R U B B E T S. That's Grubbits, the feed chickens need. And now we return to Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer with your host, Andy Schneider. Alrighty, thank you very much for staying with us today. I hope you enjoyed today's show, performing a physical exam and identifying ascites slash water belly in chickens. I always love it when poultry veterinarian Dr. Potesky is on. He really sheds a lot of light on a lot of these things that we see uh, posted in the blogs and forums and groups that are out there uh, and really sheds a wonderful bright light on on reality and proper care and uh we really thank him for coming on. It looks like next Thursday we will have poultry scientist Dr. McCray back on. Uh, and then on, uh, let me see, looking at the calendar here, one, two, three, four, yeah, there's just four Thursdays. And then on the 25th Thursday, um, we're looking at trying to have Tucker Milling come on because I really want to share uh, the story. It's fascinating. It's interesting. You'll appreciate it. You'll appreciate the honesty in it of why. Um, we made the switch here uh, to go to Tucker Milling Feed, and the fact that uh, may have been actually the first sponsor, first especially feed sponsor, uh, that we've actually reached out to ourselves uh, based on the results that we saw here um, using their product versus others that have heard or seen about us and said, hey, we'd like to be involved. It was, it was the opposite. It's, it really makes for a fantastic um, story, and I uh, think you'll appreciate and respect the honesty there of why we're uh, all of our animals here on the homestead are now Tucker Milling. So, um, hope you guys have a fantastic week and weekend. And uh, hey, you know what? We will see you back here next Thursday uh, with uh, poultry scientist Dr. McCray. So, have a great one. Thanks for tuning in, and don't forget about Chicken Whisperer Magazine. This has been Backyard Poultry with the Chicken Whisperer, brought to you by Tucker Milling, with your host, Andy Schneider. For more information, find us on the web at chickenwhisperer.com, on Facebook by typing in The Chicken Whisperer, on Twitter at Backyard Poultry, and on Instagram at The Real Chicken Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.